Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. So, um, Pastor Carl told me, you know, I knew that he was going away this weekend. And so, a couple weekends ago, we decided, well, what do we want to be our Christmas series all about? And so, we, we talked at length about it and said, let's go to Isaiah chapter, I think it's chapter 9, where it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And of the end of his, and of the end of his, like the government shall be upon his shoulders. So I had spent a whole two or three days, like Sunday, kind of Monday and Tuesday, kind of just, you know, ruminating over that scripture. And then Carl put the kibosh on that. And he woke up on, I think, Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning. He woke up and said, you'll never believe it, Cheryl, but all night long, this song was playing in my head and I believe it's God. I went, are you sure it wasn't the Claritin you took? said, no, I believe it was God. And so he wants to talk about miracles this Christmas season. And so I think that's really cool too. So what is a miracle? A miracle is an event in the external world, um, and it's because of the simple volition of God. It says that God ordinarily affects his, per, his um, he ordinarily affects things who, um, second causes, which would be us getting involved in things. But a miracle is when God supersedes second causes and initiates something of his own accord. A miracle is above nature and above man. It shows the intervention of a power that is not limited by laws, either of matter or mind, a power interrupting the fixed laws which govern our movements. It's a supernatural power. In the Old Testament, in the New Living Translation, there are no less than 66 miracles recorded. Funny, there's 66 books in the Bible. Anyways, Jesus did 37 miracles. John said uh, in the last chapter of his book, he said, if I was to try and record all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain the wonderful things that Christ did. In the book of Acts, we see all kinds of miracles that took place at the hands of the apostles, blind men at the temple, the boy who fell out of the window because Paul had a long-winded sermon and he died and Paul raised him back to death. Dorcas, Ethiopian, Paul and the snake. We could go on and on if we were to think about the book of Acts. In the New Testament, there are actually four words to describe miracles. Simeon, which is a sign and evidence of a divine commission and an attestation to a divine message. Terita, it's wonders, wonder-causing events, producing astonishment and be, and in the beholder and those who see. And then there's dunamis, that's the mighty works, works of superhuman power. And there's Urga, the works of him who is a wonder-working God. So why miracles? What is the purpose of miracles? Why did God do miracles? Miracles are a seal of a divine mission. Jesus said, I have a greater witness than John, and that's my miracles. Jesus also appealed to the miracles as conclusive proof of his divine mission. The writers of Scripture appealed to the miracles to um, attest that they were truly messengers of God. 
and they're conveying the miracles convey the power and the presence of God. Miracles are learning experiences for you and I. They point to something that God wants us to understand and to believe about himself. And they reveal the glory of God. In John chapter 2, verse 11, at the wedding of Cana, it says this was his first miracle and thus revealed the glory of God. So miracles, I've witnessed a few miracles in my life, actually. And I think for me, the most awe-inspiring miracle that could ever take place is the transformation of a heart and a life. You know, in John it says, you weren't born because of human flesh or the will of a man, but you were born from God. And so something supernatural takes place when I just yield to God. Something I don't even have words for, I can't even describe, but something happens on the inside of me that is indescribable and it is full of glory. Amen? For me, when, when I thought about my dad, and my dad was a messy, and we've talked about this before, and I remember just before he got saved, I found a picture of my dad, or maybe after we all got saved, I found these pictures in a photograph album. And there's a photograph of my dad like six months before he came to Christ. And his face looked empty, lost, and dark. And then there's a photograph of my dad six months after he came to Christ. And it is not the same person. Transformation, the birth, you know, becoming a born again, born of the Spirit of God is truly awe-inspiring and miraculous. I've seen people operate in words of knowledge. I don't know how many of you were around when Sean Boltz was here the last time, but that was a miracle taking place right before our eyes. He pointed some things out and said some things and, and read people's mail and described their lives and said things that he would never know because he doesn't know you. I just found that miraculous and awe-inspiring again. And I've seen people get healed and people get delivered. I've seen uh, someone who has, I've seen actually a couple of people who have struggled their entire lives with multiple personality disorder. And I've seen them come to one mind in Christ. Amen. So I've seen miracles take place, you know. And I'll never forget uh, one time when we were sitting on the front row and Josh and Janet were here. And Josh and Janet have a Signs and Wonders Miracle Working Ministry. And I'm a bit of a skeptic. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm always suspicious of stuff. But I remember, not that I'm suspicious of Josh and Janet, because I know them and I love them. But I remember one time, you know, I have to know you to believe things sometimes. That's just the way I am. But I remember one time Josh was up here ministering, and, and Janet was right here, and Pastor Carl and I were on this row. And all of a sudden, an aroma filled the front row, like you could not deny it. And then I could see Josh's microphone, and it was a black microphone getting slick with oil. And it just got covered with oil. And, you know, God was manifesting his presence with a sign and wonder, and, and then he just prayed for everybody. But I just saw oil start coming out of someone's hands, and I, I saw a, an aroma of God fill the place. And I just went, I was... I felt like I needed to fall down on my face and just say, oh my gosh, God, that's just stinking amazing. And so, you know, in, in 35 years of serving Christ, I could go on and on and on about the good things I've seen and the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the healings I've seen, but that could take all day. Amen? 
So as we approach the Christmas season and the celebration of Christ's birth, it's only fitting that the miracle worker's annunciation would be surrounded and suffused with so many miracles. And, there's, and I'm just going to list off some of the miracles that are found in the Gospels. And the three Gospel writers talk a lot about Christ's birth and the miracles surrounding it. John just says one beautiful miracle in one sentence. There is five angelic visitations. I personally have never had an angelic visitation. I don't know how I would respond. But there are five angelic visitations. Gabriel came to Zechariah. Gabriel came to Mary. Um, the angels tell Joseph, you know, don't put Mary away. Make sure you marry her. The angels appear to the shepherds, and then a host of angels sing to them. <laughs> oh, no. What is that like? Like, I don't know. What, what does an angel look like? And then they're singing to you, you know, praise to God, glory to God in the heavens. And then an angel tells Joseph to escape to Egypt. And then there's the silencing of the unbelieving priest, Zachariah. You know, he didn't believe the report of Gabriel. Actually, the biggest miracle is that Gabriel didn't smote him right there. But there was a purpose. There was something that Zechariah actually had to do. <laughs> Anyways, but Gabriel came, and he didn't believe the word, and then he was, he was silent. Uh, Zechariah couldn't speak. And then there was a barren woman, and the Bible goes to great lengths to say she was of old age and barren. And she conceives, and not only does she conceive, she gives birth to John the Baptist. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we have the miracle of the mute priest who begins to speak again at the announcement of the name of John the Baptist. A young virgin conceives. I don't even want to go there. I don't even understand that. I don't know how that can happen. A young virgin conceives and gives birth to Messiah. Wise men see a star. The wise men are warned in a vision to go a different way. Simeon, led by the Spirit to go to the temple on the day of Jesus' uh, circumcision, prophesies, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Amen? So all throughout um, the announcing of the coming of Christ, there are all these miracles to attest that he truly is coming. However, for me, the most wonderful and fundamental miracle is the incarnation. It is God becoming man, the word made flesh, and dwelling among us. You know, I grew up in a Catholic church, and I'm so thankful but that we really, we made a big deal about the incarnation. It was a, a, a huge part of our catechism. You know, and sometimes I think in Western culture, when we have baby Jesus in the manger at the mall and everything, it really, it, um, it waters down the beautiful miracle that took place at, at Christmas time, and that's that Jesus took on human flesh. We look at these little wooden figures and say, oh, isn't that cute, the baby in the manger, and totally forget the wonderful miracles that is taking place. Christ, God himself, came down from heaven. Amen? The Apostle Paul recounts the incarnation in Philippians. He goes, Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to go with that. Like, I can't even imagine that God would leave that community of heaven and that he would come down and empty himself and take on flesh and blood and take on our nature. C.S. Lewis calls the incarnation the grand miracle. He wrote the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. 
Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or is a result of this. Every miracle that takes place in our lives is a result of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It was the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing that the whole story of the earth is all about. Pope John Paul said this about the incarnation. He said, it surpasses all the miraculous happenings connected with Christ's messianic mission. It may be said that the incarnation is a miracle of miracles, the radical and permanent miracle of a new order for creation. The eyes of faith, it becomes a sign incomparably superior to all other miraculous signs of the divine presence and action of God in our world. I love that God didn't leave us in our sinful state. I love that I was not alone in the universe and that God was fully aware. In the uh, songs of uh, Luke where it talks about Mary's song and Zachariah's song, one of my favorite things is that Mary said he took notice of me. And God takes notice of us. And he comes and he saves and he redeems. He shows mercy. He keeps his promises. Amen. John Dunn said this. He said, "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be like man much more. You know, it's one thing that God would make us in his image, but it's a whole other thing that he would come and decide to lower himself and become like us. Amen. St. Alphonse said this of the incarnation. It is the singular love of God towards man. It's all greatness together, but in the smallest of atoms. It's God and clay, majesty and weakness. To raise us, he lowered himself. Amen. And my favorite theologian, Bono, not really, he's not a theologian, but he was, um, he was having an interview and he was describing a time that he had been on tour for quite some time. And as usual, and per his custom, he went home and he went to Christmas Eve service. And he said he went to St. Patrick's Cathedral. And this is what he said. It dawned on me before, but it really sank in the Christmas story. The idea that God, if there's a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself and describe itself becoming a child born in straw and poverty. A child, I thought. Wow. Just poetry. Unknowable love unknowable power describes itself in the most vulnerable way. There it was. I was sitting there and the tears came down my face and I saw the genius of this, the other, ge other genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn this on because that's exactly what we're talking about. Love needs to find form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. To me, it makes sense. It's actually logical, pure logic essence has to manifest itself. It's inevitable. Love must become an action and something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. I love that quote. He just really hit it on the, on the nail there. And so Pastor John alluded to a, a couple of weeks ago about a C.S. Lewis illustration. And I just want, Sue, do you have that little picture I sent for you or whoever's back there? Now that is a beautiful beast. That is our bow dog. Now I love that dog. I love sitting on the couch. I love when he comes and the 125 pound lap dog sits right on me, on top of me. And it doesn't matter which end is sitting on top of me, by the way. The, the end that licks or the end that farts. 
But he comes and he sits on top of me. And I love, I come home, I could be gone for five minutes and he's greeting me at the door. I could be gone for the whole day and he is happy to see me. I could have yelled at him and he's still happy to see me. I really love that dog. He's so handsome and beautiful. <laughs> Bit bad sometimes, but he's just handsome. I love that dog. I... I bought him a happy birthday present, but to buy my husband a happy birthday present. I buy him Christmas presents, but I don't buy my husband Christmas presents. I clean up his doo-doo, but I don't clean up my husband's doo-doo, thanks be to Jesus. But I love this dog. And C.S. Lewis says, you can love your animals and your creatures, but would you want to become one of them? And I think about Christ. We were a mess. We were lost in sin. And Christ decided to become one of us. You know, I would never put aside my, who I am, to become a dog. I'm sorry, Bo. But, you know, I wouldn't want to become you. I quite like the fact that I'm upright. <laughs> and that I walk in two legs and use fork and knife to eat my food. <laughs> but Jesus came for us. He loved us so much that he was willing to put aside everything about himself and come and be among us. Amen. He comes down. He comes from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, and further still to the womb. Jesus became an embryo. He was a fetus. He was a child. He was an adolescent. He was a young man. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a friend. He was born of a woman. He ate food. He slept. He experienced temptation. He perspired. He bled. He displayed human emotion. He learned to trade. He had siblings, and he went to synagogue. He did everything we did. He went through loss. He went through puberty. He experienced loss, betrayal, denial, and abandonment. Jesus has experienced every human emotion that is possible. He experienced it. Amen? He had to grow up as an adolescent. He had to live with siblings. He had to learn a trade. In one moment, one seemingly insignificant measurement of time, word became flesh. The undiminished deity became humanity. The one for whom all things and by whom all things are becomes a thing like you and me. The invisible God becomes visible, touchable, pierceable, whippable, nailable, and Emmanuel, God with us. Divinity took on the garb of humanity so that depravity could be rendered savable. True grace appeared, and we received grace upon grace. You know, if I had bad people around me, I'd want to just give them a smack upside the head. But Jesus comes, he takes on this, this fallen form, and he demonstrates grace and truth to us. He is a personification of truth revealed. The incarnation is one of the most important features of Christianity. The incarnation expresses the belief that God has made himself known fully and specifically and personally by taking on our nature and coming to us as a particular man. The incarnation is God with us. The incarnation is God deciding to dwell with us. Not only does he take on his nature, but he has decided to take on this form for all of eternity. And not only that, Jesus said that, you know, it says in um, John 14, that says that he came and he made his dwelling among us. And Jesus will always make his dwelling in us because we are the tabernacle of God. And he has decided to dwell with us eternally. Amen. The incarnation is Christ joining himself so we can be joined to him. The incarnation is Christ taking on our nature so I could participate in his nature. God in the flesh, 
fleshes out for us what it means to love sacrificially. The incarnation is one direction from God to man. It is his act alone of his own accord and is God's gracious act in our behalf. We cannot separate the cross from the incarnation. Him taking on humanness and living life among us is, is as importantly missional as his dying on the cross. You know, sometimes as evangelicals and Christians and charismatics, we make much of the cross, and we should. The cross is, you know, that's how our sins were forgiven. But the incarnation is just as important. Because if it's just about the cross and dying, then all of Jesus' life is superfluous, unnecessary, and over the top. And for me, that Jesus took on humanity was great, that he took on human flesh was great, but that he decided to live for 33 years in this earth suit is even better. Because, you know, by him uh, living among us and not just dying for us, he showed me how to treat people, showed me how to love people, he showed me how to do life. And so for me, it is as important from the incarnation all the way to the cross. It is one continuant continuous movement of God manifesting his goodness to us. Amen. It is one continuous movement of God calling us to himself and redeeming us and reconciling him ourselves to him. Amen. Amen. And for me, there's no greater scripture that talks about and explains the manifestation or the incarnation of God than Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified and it gets kind of wordy, so bear with me. Okay. It says, God having spoken to our fathers long ago, the voices and writings of the prophets in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in many ways, in these last days has spoken with finality to us in the person of one who is by his character and nature his son, namely Jesus, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, through whom also he created the universe, that is the universe as space, time, matter, continuum. The sun is a radiance and the only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation of the perfect imprint of the Father's essence and upholding and maintaining all things by his hand. <sighs> I got to take a breath. That is a mouthful. God having spoken to our fathers in the past, the scripture tells us that God spoke through the prophets many times in various different ways and a portion of the truth and not the whole truth. He spoke to us through visions, through miracles, through dreams, through angelic visitations, and, and through the words of the prophet. But those were just glimpses. Those were just portions of truth. And God finally said, you know what? I'm done with speaking this way. It's time for you to go and for you to be my final word. And it says, but in these last days, God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. God was speaking to mankind. God was speaking to the cosmos. He was speaking to the earth in his son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the incarnation for me, that miracle of incarnation, is God wants to say something of himself. He wants to communicate the final word regarding himself, and he accomplishes this through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John said, no one has seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father. He has God. He has revealed God to us. The incarnation reveals the glory of God, the character of God, and the desire of God. And I just kind of want to focus on uh, verse 3 of that scripture. It reveals the glory of God. It reveals the character of God. And it reveals the desire of God. Verse 3 says this. It says, 
The sun is the radiance and the only expression of glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, light being brilliant light of the divine. Jesus came, Jesus in the incarnation, in that wonderful miracle came because he wanted to reveal God's glory to us. And you know what? He did many signs and wonders to reveal God's glory. He reflects perfectly the majesty of God. In John 2, 11, I said this earlier, it says that he did that miracle of Cana of turning the water into wine. It says he thus revealed his glory. So when Jesus was on the earth performing the 37 miracles that are recorded in the gospel, he was revealing the glory of God to us. God in Christ wanted to say, I am glorious. I am full of majesty. I am brilliant. I am life-giving. When Jesus came in flesh, incarnation, he wanted to reveal the glory of God. And you know, there's 37 different miracles. He turns water into wine. He drives out evil spirits. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals all those who were sick and oppressed. He heals a man with leprosy. He casts demons into a herd of pigs. He heals a woman in a crowd from the issue of blood. He raises Jairus' daughter back to life. He heals two blind men. He heals and raises back to life the widow of Nain's son. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He feeds that 5,000. He walks on water. We could go on and on and on about the miracles of Christ. And they came and he did them because he wanted to reveal the glory of God. Amen. Jesus comes. He's incarnate. He took on this flesh and he laid aside the the privileges of divinity and he performed miracles to demonstrate the glory of God. Amen. Jesus is God's neon sign radiating in a dark place. Amen. Jesus reveals the character of God. Verse 3 says, he is the exact representation and the perfect imprint of his father's essence. He is the exact representation. That word is actually haraktar. Everybody say haraktar. It's actually the word that we get our English word character for. Jesus is the exact character of his father. Jesus came incarnate, took on this flesh because he wanted to reveal his character. God wanted you to know once and for all what his character was all about. And he sent his son and Jesus came to reveal the genuine character of God. He's not a mean guy up there, you know, killing people, causing genocide, throwing lightning bolts down. He's actually a good and gracious father. Amen. He's the, Jesus is the exact imprint. He's like the stamp of the Father. He's exactly like him, and he represents the character of God. What does Jesus reveal about the character of God? He reveals that God is love. The scripture says that God is love. It says we love because he first loved us. He is full of love and compassion. We heard last week Carl talk about, let me see if I can say it, He is full of compassion. You don't have that kind of compassion and passion and love and kind of that visceral feeling for people if you don't love them, if you don't want to express love. Jesus expresses the character by expressing the love of God. Amen? He is a giver. God so loved that he gave. And it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, it says, you know, rarely is one person willing to die for an upright man. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. He's a giver. God gives 
because Jesus gave his life. Amen? He's a promise keeper. In Romans 15, it says, Jesus came to show God's truthfulness and confirm his promises. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, for God can be trusted to keep all of his promises. He loves, he gives, he keeps his promises. He is grace. It says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. He is rich in mercy. It says in Ephesians that God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we are dead in our sins, has made us alive in Christ. By grace you are saved. He is our refuge. It says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk in Christ. You know, Jesus, I am in Christ, and he has become my refuge, and no matter what the devil says or people say, I find my place in him, and I find my refuge in him. Amen? What's the character of God that Jesus revealed? He revealed that he was love. He revealed that he was a giver. He revealed that he was merciful. He revealed that God's a promise keeper. He revealed that God is full of grace and mercy. He revealed that God is a refuge and a place for us to hide. He revealed that God notices us. He reveals that God wants to come and be with us. He reveals that God saves us, rescues us, delivers us. Jesus revealed perfectly the character of our loving God. Amen? And lastly, in verse 3, it says, when he himself had, and no other had, by offering himself in the Christ, the sacrifice for sin, accomplished purification from sins, and established our freedom from guilt, he sat down revealing his completed work. Jesus reveals God's desire for mankind. God's desire is that we would be back with him. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He was, God was in Christ appealing to mankind, come back home, come back and be a part of my family. Nothing could be more clearly documented in the scripture than the fact and the principle that the purpose of the incarnation was to save men from their sins. Amen. It says, for the son has come to seek and save that which was lost. In Galatians, it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Paul said this to Timothy. It's a trustworthy, trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ came to the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. We can't separate the incarnation from the cross. All of his life, his character points to God. From the incarnation to the resurrection, it's about Christ dying on the, it's not just about Christ dying on the cross, it's about him coming and taking on human flesh. Amen? When Jesus came and God spoke his final word in Jesus, he spoke about his glory, he spoke about his character, and he spoke about his desire for mankind. And so, you know, you might say to yourself at Christmas time, well, how does this apply to me? That's nice, Pastor Cheryl. I just learned about the incarnation. Big deal. Whoopee. Ha, ha. But it applies to us. It's really, really important to us. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, or uh, John said in uh, 1 John 4, 17, as Christ is, so are you in this world. So as Christ is, so am I in this world. So you know what? I am to reveal the glory of God. I am to reveal the character of God. I am to convey the desire of God that he wants people back in his family. Amen? And you know, in Colossians it says this, and we read this, but I don't think we really get this sometimes. It says, for in him the fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in a bodily form. And you, everybody say me. And you are made in him, made full and having come to the fullness of life, 
in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. You know, this is a whole thing. Christ came so that we could get heaven and all of God on the inside of us. Christ came as the incarnation, that miracle of incarnation, because he wanted to reveal something of God. God wanted to speak something through Christ. God wanted to reveal his glory, his character, his nature, his desire. And now you and I are the vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You and I are the fullness of God. We have the fullness of Father God's Holy Spirit and Son living on the inside of us. And I dare say that our lives are a continuation of the incarnation. God in flesh is in me. Does that make sense? And those in Christ, we too can be God's final statement to the world. To reveal his glory, to reveal his character, to reveal his desire to the lost. If the incarnation is a grand miracle, then as those in Christ, let us continue to be the miracle of the incarnation. You and I are God's neon signs in a dark and desperate world. Sister Frances Teresa says in her book, Living the Incarnation, we gradually become the incarnations of the incarnation. This is our calling. She goes on to say, the incarnation was not a divine contingency plan because things had gone wrong. The coming of the word in flesh means that there is now nothing in human life which is outside divine involvement. As Christ shared in our human nature, so we may be brought to share in his divine nature. You're the miracle people need at Christmas time. All they need is a miracle and you're it. There's no plan B. Jesus came to reveal the heart of God, to be the final statement of God. And the final statement is, he wants you to participate in divine nature and he wants you to participate in reconciling the world to himself. He wants you to reveal his glory. He wants you to reveal his, his character. He wants you to reveal his desire to those around you, those you sleep with, those you eat with, those you work with, those you play with. You are the incarnations of the incarnate God himself. Amen? So let's you and I be the miracle this Christmas. Amen? There are people in your lives who need a miracle. There are people that you need to be the calm in the midst of a storm. There are people that when you go home and they're just on edge and hyper and just stressed out about being with family because family is so much fun, you be the miracle in the midst of that. There are people who need financial breakthrough. There are people who need souls and lives healed. You are that miracle. You can reveal the glory of God, the character of God, and the nature of God. Amen? You know, don't go home just to have food, fun, and fellowship and, you know, eggnog. Think about yourself as the miracle worker, as the incarnation of God, of, of God revealing himself to the world around you. Amen? Let's stand. If you're here today, you know, the greatest miracle is you saying to Jesus, you know what, I just invite you to be a part of my life. And I'm telling you, it's a great trade, and you will never re regret giving your life over to Christ. It is a good trade, and he comes, and he makes his home in us. And he decorates us with his goodness and his kindness and his spirit. Amen? So if you're here today, and you don't know Christ, I'm going to have the, the prayer team come on up front here now. <laughs> and if you don't know Christ, I know these people can lead you to Christ. Amen? Come closer so people can see you and you're not in the dark. It drives me crazy when they're in the dark and no one can see them. <laughs> so these fine people, they are well able to lead you to Christ. Amen? And they are well able to 
introduce you to the incarnate God who comes and lives on the inside of you. Amen? Let's pray. All over the house. Father, you know, Christmas can be so crazy town. We can get caught up in the commercialism and forget the true meaning of Christmas, which is God came to earth and took on human flesh. And I just pray this Christmas season, as we talk about the miracles of God and we talk about the miracles that took place at the Christmas season, that we would be forever changed by the incarnation of God coming in flesh and coming down and dwelling with us. So I pray throughout this season that we would be inspired by miracles, that we'd be inspired to participate with God in the working of miracles, and that we ourselves would be the miracles to those around us. So Father, we just pray over this season as we discuss miracles, open our hearts, Father, to be those kind of people. And I just pray for anyone in the house who needs a miracle, you are a miracle-working God. If you need a miracle and you need a breakthrough, I'm telling you, these people up front can pray for you and you will see miracles take place in your life. Amen. So God bless you. Have a a miracle-full Christmas. Amen. I was going to say miracle-full. And um, be the change, be the miracle in people's lives. Amen. God bless you.